This morning's Bible reading is taken from Luke 16, verse 19 to 31. Luke 16, verse 19 to 31. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen, and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried, and in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in the water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things, and Lazarus in like manner, bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed, in order that those who pass from here to you may not be able, and none may cross from there to us. And he said, Then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come into the place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham. But if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. And he said to them, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, family. It always seems to take a while just to wipe this mic and, um, and get speaking. Uh, it's good to be together. It's, uh, it's a bit of a cold day, but uh, uh, we'll be warmed, hopefully, uh, from God's word. Uh, yesterday, we had a student conference here, um, and we spent some time talking on the topic of fatherhood. Uh, it was a great time together. Uh, it was good to look at uh, what we can learn from fatherhood, uh, on fatherhood rather, from Romans and also from uh, Romans 12 rather and Romans 8. It was a great time together. Uh, I, was, I was doing a number of the talks there. Um, so if my voice seems like it's, it's, it's a bit out this morning, just know that. Um, but we look this morning, we're continuing a series that we began last week. If you are joining us online for the very first time, we warm welcome to you. My name is Reggie. I'm one of the ministers here at Christ Church Midrand. We began a series last week, as I've just said, titled The Upside Down Kingdom. And in this series, the first talk we looked at was the parable of the Good Samaritan. And we saw there that the parable shows us that you and I are not the Good Samaritan, uh, but rather we need the Good Samaritan whom we see so clearly is Jesus. And after he has brought us 
into his goodness. We are then commissioned and sent out to show uh, the very same goodness he has given to us. Uh, Our passage today follows in that very same light. Uh, It's a passage that is often... Uh, has, that is often misunderstood to talk about um, the afterlife. But you'll notice that here Jesus continues on a theme of generosity that he's been talking about in Luke's gospel. And he actually juxtaposes this theme with greed. So we're talking about greed this morning. How about I pray for us as we come to God's word? Our Father, we pray that this morning you'd come to help us to understand your word. Father, we pray that we would see that the only way to be made right with you is accepting the goodness that you offer. We have no goodness of our own to offer. And often, Lord, what we find ourselves doing, instead of accepting your message, the message of your kingdom, We find ourselves building our own kingdoms. And so in the same way that you did last week, would you bulldoze any identity that we build for ourselves outside of the goodness that you offer, outside of your kingdom? And this we do pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I think that uh, most people would probably agree Uh, And I think you would as well this morning. With all all things considered, I think all of us would agree with the concept that greed is a problem. Isn't it? It is a problem. But the problem is that none of us ever thinks greed is our problem. Greed is somewhere there with other people. Other people struggle with greed. Greed is the only sin that you and I don't struggle with. Isn't it? See, when we have mental pictures of greed, what comes to mind for us is as people who have things they do not need. And instead of giving those things to serve others, they take them and put them in their garage or in a storage room. That's the kind of picture we have in mind when we think of greed. What else comes to mind is we think of the person who has so much clothes or too many clothes that they can't fit them in their wardrobe columns or cubicles. This person has more outfits than days in a month. What comes to mind is the guy or the person who at a buffet fills his plate with a lot of food on the first round. He fills his food with all the food that is available and never actually gets to finish the food. When we think of greed, we think of such mental pictures. Now, I know these, all, these mental pictures may all seem silly, but what they point out is, when you and I often think of greed, we think of greed as being the problem that other people have, not a problem that we struggle with. But you see, the thing about greed is that greed has this uncanny or mysterious ability to hide. It hides. It is not like the anger that you see in Luke 15. The older brother, when he sees that the younger brother has come back. It is not like that kind of sin. It is not like adultery, which we see in verses just before this, in verse 18, in Luke chapter 16. It is subtle. 
But here's the thing. The subtleness of greed leads to destruction. It brings agony and anguish. It consumes our life with its flames. One author actually puts it this way. Greed eats up at a person so that he or she is wasted away. It sucks up every strand of happiness. And I may add, generosity and results in death. It results in the death of our souls. It corrodes our souls. It brings decay to our very lives. And so as we turn to our passage today, in the words of St. Augustine, I want us to realize what he points out, which is what Jesus shows us in our passage today. Listen to what St. Augustine says. Greed is not a defect of gold, or in the gold, rather, that is desired, but in the man who loves it perversely by falling from justice, compassion, and goodness, which he ought to esteem as incomparably superior to the gold. See, the defect of greed is in the man, in the man's heart, the man who loves the gold, who loves the material position, who loves money more than he loves goodness and generosity and justice. But before we turn to our passage today, I want to, I want to point out a few things to us about this very passage. This passage here has often been considered by some as a parable, and there's a reason for that. Let me point out a few things that show that this passage is a parable and ought to be interpreted as such. Now, you'll notice that your Bibles at the very top do not actually give this as a heading as being the parable of the rich man, but we're spending some time together today looking at it as such, because I think it is that. It is a parable. Now, let me point out a few things for us to realize that it is a parable. Notice how Jesus begins this very story in Luke Luke 16, verse 19. He says, There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. There was a rich man. Notice how he begins the story a bit earlier in chapter 16. He says, There was a rich man who had a manager. And that very story is called a parable. Jesus actually begins uh, other stories in the, in the Gospel of Luke in a like manner. In Luke chapter 12, where he tells the story of a rich fool, he says this, There was a rich man who had land which bore good crops. In Luke 14, he talks of an, uh, another man there who hosts a banquet. And then in Luke 15, he talks about a man who had two sons. Jesus seems to begin a lot of the stories that he tells, stories that he's telling about his kingdom in this way. And so we can assume that the story that he's telling us now is a story that is a parable, a parable that is telling us about his kingdom. A kingdom that, if I may add, is a kingdom of generosity. See, if there's anything that marks this kingdom is this. It is a kingdom of goodness, kingdom of generosity, a generosity that we can only receive, that we cannot work our own way towards. We can only receive this, uh, this generosity. If you remember the phrase we said over and again last week, it was this, Christian identity is received 
rather than achieved. And in all these parables that Jesus tells, he is trying to show exactly this. The generosity of his kingdom can only be received. It cannot be worked for. It cannot be worked towards. And so Jesus tells us a number of parables. Luke chapter 10, the one we looked at last week, the parable of the Good Samaritan, is a, is a parable that you could say is marked by goodness. The theme there is goodness. Luke chapter 12, which Rafa will look at next week. The theme there is goodness. Luke chapter, Luke chapter 14, we are told of the parable of the great banquet, and then underneath that, the parable of the wedding feast. And if you read that parable, you see so clearly that it is a parable that tells you of the generosity of the host. Luke 15, the, the lost parables, but, but more particularly the parable about the lost sons, we see there the generosity and the goodness of the Father, the heart of the Father. In Luke 16, the parable that I read is first line a bit earlier. It is a parable that is like as well, like the others. It is a parable about the generosity of the kingdom of God. The generosity that marks this kingdom that Jesus has come to bring. Jesus speaks, speaks there of a dishonest manager that he doesn't in any way condone us to, 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 to follow his his, his, his character. But what Jesus does is, in talking about this dishonest manager, he shows us that he uses the money that he has, money that belongs to his master, in order to show generosity, in order to win friends, the passage says. And then at the end of the passage, it says to us, let me read it to us. It says this, And no servant can serve two masters, for he will either hate the one and love the other, and you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. See, all of these parables are pointing to this very thing. When you have seen the generosity of the kingdom of God, you yourself then become a generous person. You cannot serve two masters. You cannot be part of two kingdoms. If you're part of the kingdom of God, the people who are part of the kingdom of God live in this way because they've experienced the kingdom, they've experienced the goodness of God. But notice that the, the people that Jesus speaks of in this passage today, the passage that we are spending our time in, before it, in verse 14 of chapter 16, we read these words. The Pharisees, who were lovers of money, had all these things, what Jesus had been teaching, and they ridiculed him. They mocked him. See what we're told about the, the Pharisees there? They were lovers of money. If there's one thing you could say about them is they were marked by greed. See, they lived for their own kingdoms. They lived to build their own identity. And the place where they built their own identity is their own resources. Not just their religious status or their religious piety. They built their identity on the wealth that they had. And so the story that Jesus tells is in the light of that. It's a story that will then speak about generosity juxtaposed with the greed of the Pharisees. And so as we read through this story, I want us to see that we are not meant to come to this story and try and figure out what happens when we die. Our temptation could be that. 
that we come to this passage and try and figure out what happens when we die. What does hell look like? What, is, what, what, is, what does heaven look like? That's not the purpose of this story. See, if you want to learn about what heaven looks like, what hell looks like, there are other passages in the Bible that tell you that. But this story here isn't primarily about that. I'd even argue that it's not the secondary or even tertiary point of this passage. See, Jesus uses this picture of hell that we are meant to have to talk about how that this is the kind of life people live when they choose not to be part of God's kingdom, when they choose for themselves what is good. If you think back to the beginning of uh, the story of God with his people, Genesis 1 and 2, Adam and Eve choose for, for themselves what is good. We see that so clearly in Genesis 3. And we can say there that what they have chosen, in not choosing to be part of God's good story, in not choosing to be part of God's kingdom, they have, in one sense, chosen hell. They have chosen to live without the goodness of God. In Exodus, Royden took us through a few sermons. You might remember a sermon that he titled, actually, Choosing Hell. And he spoke about Pharaoh. And when he spoke about Pharaoh, he said this. Pharaoh hardened his heart towards what God was doing. And what God simply did was to confirm or strengthen his heart in what he had already chosen. Over and again, Royden reminded us that Pharaoh chose hell. He chose a life without the goodness of God. And when people choose to build their own kingdoms, to live for wealth, what they essentially do is that. They choose hell. And so as we come to our passage, let us see this very thing that Jesus shows us here. And what he will do, as I've said, he'll juxtapose for us the generosity of the kingdom of God with the greed that marks out the life of the Pharisees. Now, as we come to this story, let me say this. Last week, the temptation, as I said for me, would have been as I read through the story of the Good Samaritan to see myself as the Good Samaritan. And I explained that last week, that that's my tendency. I'm tempted to think that of myself. But in that story, I came to realize, or we should all realize, that we are actually the Levite and the priest. And the way to, for us to receive the goodness of God is to see that we should become the man who's bitten down, who needs the help of the Good Samaritan. And so in like manner, when we come to this story, you and I can immediately be tempted to think we are Lazarus. We are the ones that sit in the, in the bosom of Abraham. We may be tempted to think of ourselves as that. But what Jesus wants us to begin is here. You and I, in one sense, are like the rich men. We often don't see our greed. We are like the Pharisees. We don't see how we hold on tightly to our resources. And so Jesus in this story will show us this. In a, in a story that I should say is not original to him. Jesus did not come up with this story. There, there were many other stories like this that were told. Actually, there were some of the stories that were told are thought to have an Egyptian or Babylonian, or Greco-Roman background. But what Jesus does is he takes this story and applies it to the message of his kingdom. And the way he applies it is he gives it an inverted end. See, what these people would have expected as they hear this story is that the person who sits in Abraham's bosom 
is the rich man. But Jesus turns that whole thing around to show who are the people that become part of his kingdom. So let's go to our passage together and see this very thing. You and I ought to see this. We ought to see that we're the rich man because, if I may point out, we are actually among the rich in our own country. We live in a country that is polarized between the rich and poor. The study that was done to say, if you have a roof over your house, if you have several meals on a day, if you've got more than two taps in your house, if you've got a toilet, you're among the rich. And because you and I are among the rich, you and I have the same temptation to clutch on, to hold on to our resources. And so we need to hear what Jesus says to us here about greed. So let's go to our passage and we will read it together. Now I'll begin our reading from verse 19 for us. Verse 19 to verse 21, and then we will continue thereafter. Verse 19 reads as follows. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. Or every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus. Now notice, Lazarus has a name. All that the rich man is identified with is his wealth. That's something to think about. Lazarus was covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs that came, moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. Notice how Jesus describes these two groups of people, or two characters, that he introduces to us. One commentator named Joe Green says this for us. Let me read this very uh, comment that he says. He says, the rich man is described in excessive and even outrageous terms, while Lazarus is numbered among society's expendables. He's an outcast. That's how he's described. Now let's see it in the passage together. Notice how the passage begins. It begins by focusing on the man's clothing. To show us his elite status, to show us the wealth that he has, look at what we are told about him. This is a man who's clothed in purple and fine linen. See, at this time, this color purple, a tyrant royal purple, is a color that was considered to be expensive, a color that showed luxury or royalty. Actually, the way that she got this color is they took snails and boiled snails and then they would extract this color out. And people who wore this color were people who were often considered to be VV. You can add a more VV if you want to. They were considered to be VVIPs. They were people with luxury. And so we see immediately here about this man that this is something we ought to see about him. See, what he wore, if you spoke today's language, was a Hugo Boss suit, a Giorgio Armani suit, or David Lalle's suit. But if that's cheap for you, he wore a Stuart Hughes suit with diamonds all over. You get a picture of his luxury. And then we're told as well that he wore fine linen. And this fine linen is thought to be an undergarment, an undergarment that is white, which shows the highest Opulence, which shows his elite status. But now notice how Lazarus is described. 
There's no mention of his clothes. No mention at all. Rather, he's clothed or covered with sores. Look at these two people. One living in luxury. The other covered in sores. No mention of his clothes. And immediately when we see that he's covered in sores, we should think he probably has a skin disease. Maybe leprosy that has kept him away from people. That has probably even kept him away from the temple. So he's a social outcast and a religious outcast. And he's poor. You see a picture that is painted of this man. He's unclean and he's an outcast. Now notice how what Jesus also points out about these two characters. He then speaks to us about the food that they eat. The rich man is someone who throws a banquet daily. He eats from a banquet daily. Now a bit earlier, Jesus tells us of a banquet in Luke chapter 14. A banquet where the host actually goes out to invite those who are outcasts. Because those whom he had invited first came up with excuses. It shows us of another banquet as well, Jesus, in Luke chapter 15. And this is a banquet that is thrown when the son who had, who had left his home comes back. He has repented, and his father throws a banquet. And you see there a father, a rich father, who throws a banquet on one occasion. And when he actually throws that banquet, you realize the older brother complains. Why didn't you do it for me? Now notice this about the rich man. This is his daily life. This is how he lives. While Lazarus, at his gate, begs for scraps. Like the prodigal son, begged for scraps. He begs for scraps. Scraps that even the dogs would have wanted. Scraps, if you remember Luke 15, that even the swines with the prodigal son would have wanted. And see here, we are also told of dogs that come to lick him. These dogs are not man's best friend, as we often think of it today. It's not the case here. Dogs at this time were actually considered to be scavengers. And if you think of a dog who's a scavenger, a dog that has probably gone to a number of places and has eaten cops, corpses of dead birds or animals or whatever it is, the dog probably has rabies or whatever disease that would be in its mouth. It doesn't have a clean mouth. Now notice what this dog does. They come and lick him. This is what one commentator says. Once again, Joe Green, he says this. These dogs have not come to lick him, but to abuse him further. In the story to add one more reason to regard him as less than human as being unclean and thorough, thorough, an outcast. This man is an outcast. And in the kingdom of God, so far what Jesus has shown is that those who are outcasts, he welcomes them. He treats them with generosity. That's what Jesus has shown. And that his people ought to do the same. But what we see of this rich man, which portrays how the Pharisees live, he's not concerned. He's not concerned at all. The last thing Jesus points to us is that this rich man lives in a, in a great home, a gated home, while Lazarus is brought to his home daily. Lazarus probably doesn't even have a home of, him, of himself, and he's a cripple. 
See, Jesus here paints a picture of two people for us. One who's an outcast, and one who, because of his wealth, thinks he deserves to be part of God's kingdom. See, this is what the Pharisees thought. The Pharisees thought to themselves, because we are people who are rich, or who have wealth, God has blessed us. Obviously, God has shown us favor, and so we deserve to be part of God's kingdom. And so they often looked at those who are outcasts, those who were cripples, those who were sick, like Lazarus here, as being those who got God's judgment. See, if you think of another story in John chapter 9, in John chapter 9, a different gospel, uh, there's a man who's born blind, and Jesus' disciples come to him and ask, what has happened to this man? Why is he born blind? Is it because of his sin or the sin of his parent or parents? See, the Pharisees thought in like manner. The people who are outcasts, people like Lazarus, have what they have because they deserve it. And so very often they acted with no generosity towards them. And they thought even of themselves as those who belong to God's kingdom. But Jesus points so clearly as he has. If you're part of God's kingdom, if you say you have received this Christian identity, then you live it out. If you realize how God has acted generously towards you, then you will act generous towards others. But these, these Pharisees, like the rich men, they're tight-fisted, they're stingy, they're frugal, selfish, and penny-pinching. See, like the rich men, they've forgotten that the goodness of God should cause them, and maybe we have as well, that the goodness of God should cause us to be generous towards others. See, the goodness of God should move us with compassion. We should feel it deep in our guts when we see those who are outcasts, those who are like Lazarus. Now, in Luke's gospel, those who are, who are outcasts, those who are the poor, are not just those who are poor materially, but it is those who are poor spiritually as well. And we'll talk about that as we look at Lazarus. But something we see so clearly so far is that Lazarus is poor materially. You can't deny that. He's poor materially. And notice again, how he is described, something we should see so clearly. See, the way that Lazarus is described, he's described in a way that we should see that his condition has dehumanized him. That's what, it, that's what it has done. His sickness and his poverty, it has dehumanized him. He, he, can't, even, he can't even get medical attention to get rid of the sickness that he has. And so one author actually describes how what, what, what Lazarus actually feels here in this way. He describes what poor people often feel with these words. Listen to what he says. Poor people, mention having a lack of, while poor people mention having the lack of material things, they tend to describe their condition in more, physical, in more uh, psychological and social terms. Poor people turned to talk of poverty in terms of shame, inferiority, powerlessness, humiliation, fear, hopelessness, depression, social isolation, and voicelessness. And if there's anything that you could say describes Lazarus here, it's exactly this. He's voiceless. All throughout this story, notice, 
You never hear from Lazarus at all. He's voiceless. He's powerless until someone comes to his aid. Now, as we look at this passage, we must not immediately think that Jesus says money is bad. He doesn't. Jesus never at all in this passage says money is bad. Money has no morality. I love what one author actually says. He says this, money is like a brick. You can throw it at, someone, you can throw it at someone's window, or you can build a house or a hospital. The brick doesn't care. It is just a brick. But when the brick is put in the hands of a human being, it takes the character of the person. It reveals their true character. And it is true of most of us that our tight-fistedness with the resources God has, reveal, has given to us reveals our greed. It reveals in one sense that we have built our identity around our material wealth, our money, our resources. Our identity seems to be one that is achieved rather than received. And so we should realize here that if we are those kind of people, then like the Pharisees, we will struggle to receive the kingdom of God. We will will struggle to receive the kingdom that Jesus has come to bring. And here's why. It is because we have built our own kingdom. When you've built your your own kingdom, when you've built your own identity, you will see no need to accept the goodness that Jesus has come to bring. See, Luke here wants us to see so clearly the difference between these two characters. And one who is marked by thinking he deserves to be in the kingdom, who shows what the Pharisees often thought of themselves. Now, what Luke, often, what Luke points here of Lazarus is something we should see immediately. Notice that Lazarus comes to the men's gate daily. Lazarus seems to be here, like the woman in Luke 18, who, who goes to the judge all the time, who goes to the judge daily in order to get justice. And at the very end of that passage, Jesus points not to her persistency, but he points to her, to her faith. Her persistency shows her faith. And in like manner, we can say that about Lazarus here. Yeah. We can see Lazarus as being someone of faith. And his name actually means the God who helps. See, Lazarus comes to this man's gate daily because he's trusting that God would help him. But the Pharisees do not see themselves as those whom God can help because they've already built their own kingdom. And so Jesus, from verse 22 to verse 31, shows what is the end of someone who builds their own kingdom and what is the end of the people who receive the goodness that God offers. Now look at what is the end of the people that build their own kingdom. Let's read together from verse 22. Verse 22 reads as follows. The poor man died and and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. Now immediately, we must not think this means when you die, angels will come and carry you to Abraham's side. That's not what's happening here. We We mustn't immediately think that here. Let me continue to read the story fast. The rich man also died and was buried in Hades, the place of the dead, being in torment. He lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. 
And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember you in your lifetime received good things, and Lazarus in like manner bad things. But now he has been comforted here, and you are in anguish. And besides, and besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed, in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able to, and none may cross from there to us. And he said, Then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, Lazarus, for I have five brothers, so that, they, so that he may warn them, lest they may come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, No, Abraham. No, Father Abraham. But if someone goes from the dead, they will repent. And he said to him, If they don't hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone comes from the dead. Now what we should realize immediately there is that Jesus uses this picture, this metaphorical language of hell, to show the kind of life that someone has when they decide they will not choose the, the, the goodness that God offers them. That person is, in a sense, choosing hell. They're choosing anguish. They're choosing the flames of greed. That's what they're choosing. This is what one author actually says in, in, a, in a journal article that is titled, Hell is a Kingdom. Now, I think that article is brilliant. You can just go search for it. Hell is a kingdom. Go look for the article. Listen to what this author says about this very, these very verses. He says, here is an important reversal. Jesus is not calling the death snares of the world of Hades, metaphorically in, in anticipation of an, after, uh, after, of an afterlife Hades. Just the opposite. The afterlife mytho mythological, mythological language of Hades is a metaphor for the actual human condition here above. The rhetoric of hell is less about an eschatological future and more about educating us now about two ways to live and two kingdoms that compete for, for our allegiance here on earth. See, what Jesus talks about here is two kingdoms and two ways of life that compete for our attention. It is greed or generosity. It is the kingdom of Jesus or the kingdom of hell. Hell is a kingdom, a kingdom that many tend to choose. And this is what we ought to see here. And greed is what epitomizes this kingdom. See, if there's anything you could say about this man, is that he has chosen for money to be his own master. He has chosen to build his own kingdom. He has chosen to yield to the kingdom of hell. He chose hell. Again, language that you heard from Exodus. He chose a life that, was, that is without God. Now notice a few things about him that we are told as the, verse, as the verses continue. We are not told that this man is remorseful. We are not told that now that he's in this kingdom of hell, we are not told that now he's living this life of greed, that he wants to turn away from this. No, he's not remorseful. He shows no repentance. And I want you to see this. 
verse 22 to verse 24. That's the first thing we see about him. He shows no remorse. The poor man died and was carried. And a little bit later, notice what we are told about the rich man. After he died in Hades, being tormented, in verse 24, he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy and send Lazarus. Notice this man. Even in the state that he finds himself, feels like he can still, one, negotiate with Father Abraham. He can negotiate his way in, which is actually how the Pharisees thought of the kingdom of God the kingdom that Jesus had come to bring, they thought they could negotiate their way in. Maybe this rich man at one point was a broker. Maybe he was a entrepreneur. And so he thinks he can negotiate his way into the kingdom. But notice what what he also does. He says, send Lazarus. Even in the state that he's in, he still feels like he can send Lazarus as his errand boy because of his status. See, there's no remorse, no repent from this man. But what we also see from him, from verse 27 to verse 28, is that he's blame-shifting. Notice what he says in verse 27. In verse 27, he says, And he said, Then I beg you, Father, to send him to 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 my father's house. Again, he's bargaining. For I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. You notice there what he does? He's in one fact saying, I did not know better. So if someone goes to speak to my brothers, they might know better and not choose this kingdom of hell. That's what he's claiming. I did not know better. And something else that we see from him is something that Jesus actually pointed out about those who are rich in Luke 14, verse 12 to 14. They are only concerned about those that are part of their inner circle. Please, take, please, please send them to my family so that they may not come to this anguish. See, as you look at this man, he's a man who still feels like he can bargain with God. He can bargain his way into the kingdom because of his status. But that's not how we'll come in. This is not how he will come into the kingdom. And the chasm that exists there is not a chasm that, is, that has been put by anyone else. It's a chasm of his own doing. It is a chasm of his own doing. And to point that out to us, let me compare two parables. I'll compare for us the parable that comes before this in Luke chapter 15 and this parable. And there are a few things I want us to notice about these two parables. Here's the very first thing. Both the prodigal son and Lazarus find themselves in a desperate situation, and both beg for scraps. Both are in the company of unclean animals. Both have father figures. There's a father figure in the parable of the lost son who welcomes the son, and here we have Abraham who welcomes Lazarus. But this is the thing I want you to draw our attention to. Both contain a theme of distance. See, the son went away and blew the money that he had taken from his dad and created the distance, a distance of his own doing. The chasm that we see here is a chasm of this man's doing. See, what greed does is that it, it, what greed does it, is it keeps us away from receiving the generosity 
that God offers. There's one author who's actually said, the doors of hell are locked from the inside. It's the doors of the kingdom of hell are locked from the inside. And the people on the inside actually do not want to come out. They like this kingdom they've built for themselves. They like this identity they've built for themselves. And the only way actually they can come out of this is by realizing that there's one who has come to show them goodness. They cannot in any way work their own way into this kingdom. There's one who's come to show them goodness. And so they ought to give the keys to him so that he's able to break them out of where they find themselves. See, ultimately, for us to be able to live generous lives, we can't do it because we are like the rich men. For us to live the generous life, would first need to be like Lazarus. Like in the parable we saw last week. We would have to first have to be like Lazarus and realize that we need someone else to show us goodness. We need to have faith in God that God will show us goodness. And when we have seen the goodness of God, it is then that we can begin to be generous towards others. And Jesus, as he continues to tell this story and many other stories as he prepares his way to the cross, he's showing the people whom he speaks to this, that he's going to the cross to die, to die so that those who could not do anything to get themselves into God's kingdom could be brought in. But the only way they'll be brought in is by becoming like Lazarus, by, by realizing that there was nothing they could do to be part of God's kingdom. But what only God does. But if we still think we are the rich men, if we still live a life of greed, then we might not be able to receive this very kingdom. Actually, if we still live a life of greed, it might actually even show that we're not actually part of this kingdom. Especially if we consistently live this kind of life. A life that shows that we are tight fisting and holding on to things. So what this parable calls us to do is having seen the generosity of God is to kill greed. That's what we ought to do when we have seen how good God has been to us. What marks the people of God out is generosity. Let me close with these words from one, from one author who says, what is hell but the fires of malice in our own hearts? And what quenches those fires but the wellspring of empathy and co-suffering love? The only way to kill greed is by showing generosity. But the only way you will show generosity is by realizing that you have first been shown generosity by Jesus. And when you've seen his generosity, you won't help but live that kind of life. But if you don't, and we consistently choose greed, it might be indicative that we have chosen to build our own kingdom. Let's pray together. Father, we do pray that in the light of your generosity, the generosity that we see from Jesus, that you would cause us to be people that are generous. Lord, cause us not to be tight-fisted as the Pharisees, 
And Lord, also help us to realize that it is not worthwhile to build our own kingdoms. Help us to realize there's no way we could work our own way into your kingdom. But that the only way we could be brought into your kingdom is by being like Lazarus, who waits to receive goodness. Lord, cause us today to wait to receive goodness from you, to remember the goodness we have received in Jesus, and to then live lives that are marked by generosity. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.